Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Pembina Pipeline Corporation 2020 fourth quarter results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this time, you will need to press star, then one on your telephone. If you would like to withdraw your question, you may press the pound key. If you require any further assistance, Please press star then zero on your telephone keypad, and an operator will come on back on the line to assist you. I would now like to hand the conference over to your first speaker today. Mr. Cameron Golding, Vice President, Capital Markets. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to PEMINA's conference call and webcast to review highlights from the fourth quarter and full year of 2020. On the call with me today are Mick Dilger, President and Chief Executive Officer, Scott Burroughs, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Jason Vune, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Pipelines, Jared Sprout, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Facilities, and Stu Taylor, Senior Vice President, Marketing and New Ventures and Corporate Development Officer. I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today may be forward-looking in nature and are based on PEMINA's current expectations, estimates, judgments, and projections. Forward-looking statements we may express or imply today are subject to risks and uncertainties which could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. Further, some of the information provided refers to non-GAAP measures. To learn more about these forward-looking statements and non-GAAP measures, please see the company's management discussion and analysis dated February 25, 2021 for the period ended December 21, 2020, which is available online at Pemina.com and on both CDAR and EDGAR. Before we discuss fourth quarter and annual results, I'd like to first turn things over to Mick to make some opening remarks. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Cam. With our fourth quarter release yesterday, we're happy to close the book on 2020 and looking forward to a better 2021. In a very challenging year, I'm proud of what we were able to deliver. From the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic, we were steadfast in our assertion that we'd remain within our pre-pandemic 2020 adjusted EBITDA guidance range. In the face of numerous pandemic-related challenges and lower commodity prices, we took the difficult but necessary steps to do just that. Thanks to a resilient business model that protected our top-line revenue and a focused effort to reducing operating and administrative costs, we were able to deliver annual adjusted EBITDA of nearly $3.3 billion or 97% of the midpoint of our range. As always, PEMINA takes great pride in consistently doing what it says it will do. If there's a silver lining to be found in 2020, it would be the clear validation of our long-term strategy, diversification efforts, and steadfast commitment to the company's financial guardrails. The resilience, stability, and predictability of PEMINA's business were once again proven as they were during the 2009 financial crisis and 2015 commodity price downturn. I'm equally proud of what we achieved for our other stakeholder groups. The health of our employees and communities has been top of mind throughout the pandemic, 
and I'm pleased to report that the company has not experienced any operational disruptions to its assets as a result of COVID-19 and despite all the new pandemic-related risks. Femina had a, its best safety record ever in 2020. Further, we took all the necessary steps to limit the spread of COVID-19 within our communities while fulfilling our role as an essential service provider. At the outset of the pandemic, we quickly determined the essential staff and critical infrastructure required to provide uninterrupted service to our customers, processing and transporting all product tendered while supporting their precious cash flow. We worked with our customers to understand their short and long-term infrastructure needs and thanks to long-standing and close personal relationships, we struck many new bargains that were good for both our customers and for Pemina. Despite deferring some early stage projects, we continued investing in projects that were well advanced or nearing completion with approximately $1.3 billion of projects entering service in 2020 and early 2021. This provided our customers with important infrastructure and supported our 20 and 21 financial results and strategic direction, thus setting a table for a better 2021. Finally, for our communities, we delivered on every single commitment made. We also matured our ESG reporting and strategies. Within an otherwise successful year, I feel we need to acknowledge the asset impairments we took this quarter. Due to COVID-19, alongside changing commodity price dynamics, combined with changing government priorities, Eminent needed to recognize an impairment in the value of certain assets, including our investment in Ruby Pipeline, Jordan Cove LNG, and our CKPC petrochemical investment. We believe these opportunities remain strategy, make economic sense if de-risked, and are aligned with Pemina's ESG priorities. While we believe the time for these projects may come, since we can no longer predict with certainty when that time may be, we were compelled to reflect their impairments through a non-cash charge. Despite the impairments, we remain committed to accessing global markets. The combination of Pemina's integrated value chain, the proximity to the, of the West Coast to reach Asian markets, means we are well positioned to deliver value to our customers, including end users and Pemina. Most notably, we are excited about the startup of our propane export facility, the Prince Rupert Terminal, which will come into the service near the end of this quarter and provide access to a strong international demand for propane. Pemina entered 2021 in a strong financial position, providing the foundation for resumption of accretive growth. Following the pandemic-related project calls earlier in the year, we were delighted in December to announce the reactivation of a better Phase 7 expansion, as well as the Empress Co-Generation facility. The Phase 8 and Phase 9 expansions of peace continue to be deferred, and we are using this time to optimize and reduce costs, just as we did with Phase 7. We are also reimagining our Prince Rupert expansion project. We are now evaluating an expansion of the facility capable of accommodating larger vessels, which would improve economies of scale and lower per-unit operating costs. PEMINA expects to make a decision in the second half of 2021 in regards to all three projects. Taken together, they are examples of the opportunities embedded in PEMINA's industry-leading footprint. In addition to our announced projects, we are working on an extensive portfolio of unsecured opportunities, which are all accretive and collectively comprise over $4 billion of potential capital investment, including both brownfield and greenfield projects. 
Momentum with customers behind these opportunities continues to build and we are confident in a strong rate of conversion into secured project bucket. While COVID-19 is still an urgent global concern and much uncertainty remains, there has been significant progress made on understanding and mitigating the threat and there is a growing expectation of a return to some normalcy and associated rising energy demand. Higher prices and sector consolidation continue to make our producer customer base stronger which in turn benefits Pembina. In 2020, we essentially hit the pause button, but in 2021, renewed optimism gives us confidence to hit play once again. With that, I will pass the call over to Scott to discuss the financial highlights for the fourth quarter and full year. Thanks, Mick. Pembina reported record adjusted EBITDA in the fourth quarter of $866 million, which represents a 10% increase compared to the same period last year. The increase was primarily from the assets acquired in the Kinder acquisition, new assets being placed into service in the Pipelines and Facilities Division, and higher deferred revenue recognized on the Peace Pipeline system. We also benefited from monetizing a portion of NGL storage positions built up during the second and third quarter of 2020, as well as lower operating expenses in pipelines and lower general and administrative expenses. This was partially offset by lower margins on crude oil sales and a lower contribution from Alliance Pipeline due to a narrow eco-Chicago natural gas price differential. Pemina recorded a net earnings loss in the fourth quarter of $1.2 billion due to non-cash after-tax impairment charges of $1.6 billion on Pemina's investments in Ruby, Jordan Cove, as well as CKPC. Excluding impairments and associated deferred tax recovery, earnings in the fourth quarter would have been $338 million compared to $365 million in the fourth quarter of 2019. Total revenue volumes of 3.6 million BOE per day in the fourth quarter were up 1% compared to the same period last year. The positive contributions from assets acquired in the Kinder acquisition and new assets coming into service were partially offset by lower volumes on other systems due primarily to lower interruptible volumes on certain pipeline assets as a result of lower commodity price environment and lower volumes in certain facilities assets due to lower supply volumes, scheduled turnaround, and COVID-19 related factors. A strong fourth quarter contributed to solid results for the full year. 2020 adjusted EBITDA of $3.28 billion was 7% higher than 2019 and within our pre-COVID guidance range. 2020 adjusted cash flow from operations was 2% higher than 2019 at $2.29 billion and full year volumes of 3.5 million BOE per day were 1% higher than 2019. We delivered these results while remaining within our financial guardrails. In 2020, fee-based cash flow comprised approximately 95% of adjusted EBITDA for the year. Our dividend continues to be fully funded without relying on our commodity exposed business. Fee-based cash flow more than covered our annual dividend payment with a payout ratio of 72% on this basis or an all-in payout ratio including our marketing group of 61%, providing ample room between the current dividend and cash flow being generated. Roughly 75% of our credit exposure at year-end was with investment grade and secured counterparties, and we maintained our strong triple B credit rating with a year-end ratio of approximately uh, proportionally consolidated senior debt uh, to adjusted EBITDA of four times. Based on our outlook for the year, we currently expect to generate 2021 adjusted EBITDA of $3.2 to $3.4 billion. At the low end of our adjusted 2021 EBITDA guidance range, our 2021 capital program is fully funded by cash flow after dividends. Towards the middle and upper end of the guidance range, we expect to generate excess discretionary cash flow. 
PEMINA has a proven track record of discipline and strategic capital allocation, and this remains one of our top priorities. I'm confident in our ability to generate long-term shareholder value through maintaining and growing our dividend, as well as through further infrastructure investment and accretive growth projects. Investing in growth projects ultimately increases the longevity of our already long-term and stable cash flow streams because it both enhances our strategic capabilities and also our service offering, also known as the PEMINA store. Beyond infrastructure investment, excess cash flow will be available for debt reduction or opportunistic common share purchases. To support potential share purchases, PEMINA announced yesterday the acceptance by the Toronto Stock Exchange of PEMINA's notice to commence a normal course issuer bid to purchase up to 5% of its outstanding common shares. It is worth noting that in Q4, our cash flow was more than our dividends and our capital investments, making us free cash flow positive. As Mick said in his opening remarks, we are proud of the results we have delivered in a challenging year, and the outlook for 2021 is more positive. Since our business update provided in December, third-party commodity price forecasts have improved, providing confidence in our 2021 volume outlook and supporting results in our marketing business. While still early in the year, given what's happened in the first two months of 2021, we are off to a great start. I'll now turn things to Mick for some closing comments. Thanks, Scott. I'd like to take a moment to provide a few comments on the topic of ESG, which is playing an increasingly significant role in all areas of our business and our strategy and is linked directly to PEMINA's long-term value. First, following our inaugural report issued in 2018, this past December, PEMINA released its 2020 Sustainability Report. The report includes enhanced disclosures on emissions, water, waste management, and workforce. I'm very pleased with the evolution of our reporting and look forward to continuous improvement in future projects, future reports. In addition to reporting, PEMINA advanced other significant developments. We appointed Janet LaDuca as General Counsel and Vice President Legal and Sustainability. With over 30 years of legal, environmental, regulatory and sustainability experience, Janet is a strong addition to our team and I'm confident PEMINA will benefit greatly from her contribution. We also progressed strategies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions intensity. By the end of 2021, PEMINA will have taken concrete action within the year, as well as published five-year emission intensity targets. We made progress on both new, on numerous inclusion and diversity initiatives, including setting uh, targets for both board and executive levels. Starting in 2021, a significant component of PEMINA's short-term incentive plan will be tied to ESG metrics. PEMINA stands shoulder-to-shoulder with our customers and peers in ensuring Canadian energy is developed and delivered responsibly, with leading ESG standards and practices in place. We are a proud provider of the services that get energy to where the world needs it and remain well-positioned to support the growing use of natural gas to reduce global GHG emissions. Our proximity to Asia and its growing energy demand represents another strategic opportunity. Further, PEMINA has many of the core competencies needed to adjust to the changing energy mix and is positioned to provide infrastructure services for new forms of energy or carbon sequestration and how it might facilitate hydrogen production. As, as with everything we do, we will move forward prudently, ensuring we deploy capital as we always have by making our existing business more valuable, adhering to our financial guardrails and in service of all of our four stakeholder groups. In closing, PEMINA proved once again in 2020 that we are resilient, we're agile, we're safe, 
and were reliable. PAMNA led our industry with a decade-long run of outperformance prior to 2020. Following a pandemic-driven pause, we will continue again working hard for another 10-year run. We anticipate 2021 to be a turnaround year with a return to a more traditional growth trajectory in 2022. We will not waver in our commitment to long-term value creation that benefits each stakeholder group, and we are optimistic about the future and the many opportunities in front of us. With that, we'll wrap things up. Operator, please open the line for questions. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please go ahead and press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that's star, then one to ask a question. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your first question today comes from the line of Jeremy Tonnet with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Hi, good morning. Morning, Jeremy. Just, I just want to... Um, revisit, I guess, the, the guidance a bit here and how the environment stacks up now versus maybe when you created it in uh, in November or so. Um, and just wondering if, you know, you could quantify maybe a bit more, I guess, how the com uh, commodity price environment looks now versus, versus then and how producer activity and outlook looks now uh, versus then. Um, so just trying to see kind of, you know, it seems like things have gotten better and just want to See if we can kind of quantify a bit more the degree of how much it might have gotten better. I'll start and then uh, turn it over to to Scott or others. Um, it, it's a good start, Jeremy. Um, you know, I don't think too many people thought we'd be at sixty plus dollar WTI and you know, uh, uh, terrific propane prices, better gas prices. Uh, you know, we're seeing uh, some of our producer customers alongside the consolidation. We're seeing their stocks, you know, double here in the last three months or triple in some cases. And, uh, you know, so they're, they're, uh, uh, I, I'm watching release after release. They're, they're, they're meeting their debt reduction targets and, uh, you know, uh, putting away some money. And uh, we think that'll turn into to drilling later in the year. Uh, cautious drilling, I, I, I'd say. And, um, so, you know, obviously our marketing business is, is outperforming uh, in early in the year uh, uh, what we had in the budget because we budgeted it at lower levels. Uh, we see volumes slowly coming up in some places, um, but it, I think it'll be later in the year before we can determine whether producers have the confidence to start, start drilling uh, more and, and and when that happens, that's really when when we get the torque, right? Because we've got a lot of uh, capacity ready and waiting, and uh, uh, as volumes grow, because we're covering our fixed cost anyway, that'll go straight to the to the bottom line, and, and we'll have a lot more confidence, I think, uh, a few months from now. But but uh, you know, we're delighted with uh, the start to this year. It is much better than we had originally uh, forecast. Yeah, Jeremy, maybe just. You know, a few tailwinds, obviously the stronger crude price and frac spreads, both both are up pretty material from the time that we set our budget back in, in November. 
crude's up, you know, close to, to 50%. Head, or, uh, the frac spread's uh, pretty close to that same amount. Now, again, we always caution people that we are 50% hedged on the frac spread, so we won't, we won't um, participate fully in that upside. Uh, in terms of some of the headwinds, uh, FX has moved in the wrong direction. So, you know, the Canadian dollar is now at 80 cents. Uh, at the time of budget, we were at about 75 cents or 74 cents. So that's a bit of a headwind. And the Chicago ACO has continued to, to drift down from the time that we set our budget. So uh, we do have some, some headwinds in addition to the tailwinds. But overall, uh, the tailwinds are, are definitely more positive than the headwinds. Got it. And maybe just kind of building on that for marketing, um, you know, there's a lot of Winter storms uh, last week brought in a lot of volatility to commodity prices there. Just wondering if that had any impact on your businesses and if, if that, how that might have impacted uh, your Auxable uh, contract. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we participated in some of that, Jeremy. Um, I, you know, I can't pull out specific numbers, but, um, uh, but again, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty cautious on, on how we um, uh, take advantage of commodity volatility. So, uh, I'm not going to say windfalls, but uh, it was definitely positive for us. Got it. Maybe just the last one as far as producer activity. Just wondering if you have a sense for rig activity on your footprint now or what your expectations are, um, you know, for, for where that could uh, trend over the course of the year and maybe how that has changed versus original expectations. Morning, Jeremy. Jarrett Jared Sprout here. Uh, rig activity actually in the areas, you know, you know, we pride ourselves in, in building our assets in the areas that have great resource, obviously. Um, you know, and in that particular area, we're actually seeing uh, rig activity uh, equal to or slightly above where it was kind of, you know, December of 2019 pre pre-pandemic. Um, you know, it's obviously great for the industry to see the activity coming back in, but it, when, you, when you dissect it down into some of those specific areas in which we, you know, have a very large presence, it's, uh, it's looking really good compared to uh, the pandemic in, in March. Got it. So you said rig activity ahead of December 19 already? Just wanted to clarify that point. Equal to, you have to get very, very specific down into some of our individual assets, but on a whole, you know, the Northeast BC area of Verison Midstream in, in that area, it's, it's very strong. And then as you move into the, the Kakwa, Pipestone, uh, Wapiti areas of the Liquids Ridge, Montney continues to be very strong where we also have a, a very large presence. And, you know, and then with um, the acquisition of Jupiter by Tourmaline, Jeremy, obviously Tourmaline, you know, Jupiter was a great operator. We liked working with them. Tourmaline is a great operator as well. And, you know, we're really looking forward to them bringing their expertise into that deep basin Cretaceous, um, where we also have a very large presence. Got it. That's, uh, that's encouraging. I'll stop there. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Matt Taylor with Tudor Pickering Holton Company. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions here, guys. If I could just start off on uh, capital allocation. Would you mind clarifying your growth comments a bit? Because in my seat, it looks like you've got brownfield growth um, that, that still have the contracts in place you could turn on. But it seems messaging is you have the ability to self-fund at the lower end of guidance and then the flexibility if you get to the upper end. 
but it seemed like, you know, growth is there that can be turned on if customers need the capacity, but, but you can bring down leverage or buy back stock if not. Uh, are you guys thinking about it a different way in terms of, of thoughts and capital allocation? Uh, so, so, Matt, I, I think as, we, as we've tried to reiterate, you know, the first priority is obviously the dividend and, and capital uh, to, to growth projects that fit within the platform, brownfield, greenfield expansions of the existing assets. So, you know, if, if those expansions, both Phase 8 and 9 uh, and Prince Rupert ex- expansion continue to progress through this year, uh, you know, probably our first priority is to re-FID those projects and, and bring them into service. And then after that, look at look at debt repayment and uh, share buybacks. Now, you know, if those projects come back into service, we're not really spending capital on those projects in any material way until late 2022, um, and those will be spread out over a couple of years. So even in those scenarios where those projects come back online, uh, depending the timing of that, we should be in a position to to generate potentially free cash flow, and and then we get into the d- discussion again of of what to do after that. And, you know, again, our, our, after, after we've made those decisions, you know, really we'll look at where we are within our financial guardrails. You know, if we're below our, our debt metrics on our financial guardrails, uh, we'll likely allocate that capital to debt repayment to ensure we're firmly within those guardrails. Uh, if we are within the guardrails, then we're going to have to look at where the share price is, is trading in our view of intrinsic value and, and opportunistically buy back shares or continue to pay down debt to position ourselves for, for future growth as well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Scott. Just just to dig down a little bit more then, I mean, if you're turning on these growth projects, uh, it seems like piece eight and nine, you, you said they still have contracts in place. So it's not as if as if you're you're looking at, at you know projects that aren't backstopped by customers. Uh, is that fair? Yeah, I mean we we can we can turn them we can turn them on. Um, when we need them is really the question. So like with phase seven, we, we do work collaboratively. I mean, uh, we're not the kind of company that, that gives you something you don't need. And so, uh, you know, with phase seven, we surveyed uh, our, our customers. There's not ever a perfect consensus and I'm going back a year and people said, you know, I know we're committed. I know you could build, but we'd sure appreciate it if you delayed a year because we just don't need the capacity and we're using that kind of a collaborative approach in phase eight and nine uh, to to time that appropriately and you know with phase seven uh, it, it it when we when we first uh, deferred it uh, it, it wasn't the, the best thing for for Pemina in a way because it, it kind of took away from from our growth but we came back and you know we lobbed 150 million bucks off of that project uh, through working with our customers and in uh, in scope and cost, so it wasn't all bad. I mean, we're you know we co- we're coming out with a, a better project, and and our customers really appreciated the uh, the pause. And uh, you know, when we get the signal, uh, we'll 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 turn turn eight and nine on, and we we think the signal is going to come second second quarter uh, timing, and hopefully that'll that'll give us a consensus to to uh, resume in 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 the third quarter. Great, thanks, Mick. And then one more, if I may, on, on Ruby, given the write-off this quarter and challenged outlook, can you address the liabilities on that asset? Um, and, and if there needs to be free cash flow directed to it, uh, is that a willingness to do? Just looking at the financial statements look like on a net basis, it's about $39 million of current and $464 million of non-current. 
Are, are you talking about debt at the Ruby level, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well. 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 I mean, I I think as starters, um, you know, that's non-recourse debt. You know, I just just remind everyone that it's non-recourse debt. So, you know, we have the flexibility to make some decisions around around you know what to do there. I mean, at the end of the day, that asset is challenged. There's no doubt about that when you look at, at where the spread is. And, and you know, I think it's too early in the process to, to comment on that, other than to say that, you know, all parties involved here are going to have to come to the table to, to come to an agreement uh, in, in order to make this a viable asset. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for taking my question. Your next question comes from the line of Linda Endergaulis with TD Securities. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Um, just, just to follow up on, on Jeremy and Matt's questions, um, you know, you've, you've hit the play but button again, uh, lots of opportunities in front of you. Um, some might be opportunistic, um, lots of change going on beyond uh, ESG considerations evolving including the recent U.S. presidential elections and some other political and regulatory dynamics. How do you, you know, what's the appetite for M&A and what areas would be the most compelling for you if, if you had some choice? Uh, and how do you balance that with respect to uh, some of your other priorities? Yeah, I'll start at the macro, Linda, with that question. I mean, uh, you know, Biden came in, and 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 uh, most people were predicting that, and and you know we were on record some time ago talking about Advantage Canada in that scenario, and, and we believe that to be the case. Uh, you know, looking forward, commodity prices surprised us to, to the good, uh, so delighted about that. You know, Trans Mountain uh, keeps moving forward. You know, looks like Line Three will go. Uh, KXL uh, looks like it's indefinitely suspended. Uh, I would I would say, and but that's still you know that's still a million barrels a day of of new egress, and, and that oil isn't isn't there today. And you know we've got Shell LNG uh, with the, the the cold weather, you know both continentally and and else, elsewhere. I think it uh, it's reminded people that. Um, that hydrocarbons will will play an important role for uh, a long, long time, and that uh, you know, if you zoom into the Shell LNG project, there's there's lots of uh, talk that the the, uh, the two BCF a day currently under construction might turn into four BCF a day, and that that's a huge number, a million barrels of oil and 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 two to four Bs a day of gas. Those are huge numbers. And those will pull on this basin, and this basin is ready to respond. Uh, it's not going to have uh, some of the same headwinds uh, looking forward that it did in the past. I mean, we were we were behind a portion pipe, which drove our, our pricing down. We could not we could not access uh, international gas pricing or international oil pricing, and and you know Brent's always. Five bucks a barrel, roughly, give or take, higher than WTI, and and uh, we'll be on tidewater uh, as as a, as a basin, and so we think uh, Advantage Canada for the foreseeable future, and um, so you know uh, now getting back to your specific questions, if we were going to do anything, we would we'd be probably looking more Canada side than than state side, and and we don't have. 
the, the Permian uh, Basin Envy that we had uh, over the last little while. Now, uh, if you look back and, and you're a student of this, you'll see that Pemina mainly did its acquisitions when we had a, a, a EV to EBITDA range uh, favorable to our peers, and and we're not quite in in that zone yet. We're getting there, and so um, it it is it is you know uh, I would say we're we're uh, reactive and and we're going to focus on brownfield and greenfield opportunities, particularly brownfield when. When you know, not only do we have a lot of embedded capacity within our footprint, within our pipes, um, we we have very inexpensive, very accretive deep bottlenecks too. You know, you know about you know we can power up Alliance with just pumps. We can power up Cochin with just pumps. We can power up a lot of Peace with just pumps. Uh, you know, so we we've got a lot of uh, very accretive brownfields and. And uh, we have lots of synergies to capture from the acquisitions that we've done. You know, we're early days there, and and we're still like with Kinder, we're really early days in our our 50 plus 50. We we want to hit those numbers. You know, we still have unfinished business with with Verison, and and as Jarrett said, uh, the drilling there looks looks pretty good. Uh, uh, so you know we we we, st- we have a lot to do. We we've got uh, also uh, opportunities to continue to reduce our cost footprint, and and so you know our our job number one is to improve our return on invested capital, and um, we're we're gonna we're gonna do that. We we've got a lot of running room there. Thank you. And as a follow up, um, you mentioned you could add pumping to Cochin. Uh, you recently announced a, an open season for that system. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, what you're aiming to achieve there and how that um, uh, would balance out any sort of increased domestic production if, uh, if there is a supply response to the added egress from Shell, LNG, and elsewhere? Thanks, Linda. This is Jason. Um, so on Koshin, our first... Um, first step of capacity evaluation is really around looking at what's there today and and seeing if we can optimize it, um, you know, within the existing uh, infrastructure that we have. So as we we looked under the hood and got to know the asset, um, we moved um, all the operations to our control centre up in Edmonton and we were able to find about 15,000 barrels of capacity on that line that we didn't expect in our um, in our acquisition model, and, and we're continuing to look for more. So our first, for our first steps, we're really just looking to optimize the way the system is operated, and um, and, and see how much we can wring out of it from that perspective. Um, in terms of um, you know what what our what our vision is there, um, we think that there's a you know still strong demand for condensate in the market. Um, you know, obviously it's driving driving the drilling activity in Canada, but there's also, a, um, you know, the, the, the condensate or natural gasolines that come up from the U.S. are price disadvantaged, so they use um, caution um, to come up into Canada. We think there's room um, for both the expanded capacity on, on caution and the incremental growth that we're expecting in Canada, and Mick touched on the incremental uh, pipeline capacity that will come into service between TMX and, and Line 3, and those things are going to create a bit of a, a gap in terms of heavy oil production that can be uh, produced and, and demand for condensate uh, to, to use as diluent. 
Yeah, and just just on your last piece about you know uh, increased domestic. Yeah, we we believe. I mean, phase seven, eight, nine are about uh, domestic increased condensate production, but we you know we 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 know that product will clear because it has to. And when we think about the the basin uh, as a whole, um, you know, the our shippers on on Koshin are the consumers of the product. And we, we, we still, we've been saying this for years, it's nothing new. We, we think that, that Southern Lights is the swing volume and it will, it will, it will swing based on what happens on Koshin and what's captured domestically on, on Peace. Thank you. And just, just as a follow-up, um, you already put some insights on, on the NGL dynamics. With the recent cold snap, I know, I believe I recall in the last Polar Vortex you were um, shipping uh, propane to Eastern Canada to help out. Um, with the recent cold snap, if your export terminal were operational, would you be turning back barrels to help North American consumption, or, or how how do those exogenous cold snap shocks, um, would they affect any sort of propane export initiatives you would have in the short term? Uh, I think you know when we when we look at turning on Rupert, we we we're going to have a, a wonderful uh, third, a third, a third balance, right? We we're going to have uh, exposure to Canadian markets, to U.S. markets, and to and to say Asian markets. And and we based today, if, if you know uh, we were on today, we'd probably be a third, a third, a third. And so I guess the answer is we'll go to the highest market. So. Uh, we have capacity to go to the highest mar- highest price market, and uh, the good news for our customers is that uh, through our, our, our VWAP, our, our weighted average price basket that they're enrolled in, they're going to participate handsomely in that equation. Um, so, you know, if, if Faye's great, we're going to hit hit the accelerator to Faye, and if, if Sarnia's great, we're going to hit the accelerator to Sarnia, and if Edmonton's great, you know, we can leave barrels uh, domestically and and you know we've been we've been saying to our customers and they've been patient with us uh, that the time will come when they get Faye exposure and when we're using we're amortizing the fixed cost of, of our storage and rail which we had been under amortizing in the last number of years uh, I think our our value proposition to our customers is going to be absolutely incredible here as we get into the second half of the year and those shipping on Pembina's pipes are going to get a handsome reward uh, compared to those that are not. Stu? Uh, Linda, Stu, um, just to give you a bit of a, an update, we actually did take advantage um, and we, you know, we looked through 2020. We actually you know, cautiously watched our supply um, and, and our ability to move product. We delayed some sales uh, through Q2, Q3. And, and took you know had the opportunity to participate in better commodity pricing in Q4 and in Q1, and so our system, uh, you know, the, the the logistic ability that we have and then the growth that we're creating by, with the Faye markets, we will continue to have that. We'll meet every you know we'll meet all of our commitments, but we have the flexibility to move the products around with our infrastructure, uh, and and we will be looking at that on a go forward basis. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Yeah, Linda, one last thing there. Um, just to recollect, we did turn on our Empress Frack, which gives us the ability to swing those barrels anywhere. We can take those barrels south, we can take them, rail them east to Sarnia if we need to, or we can take them west. And so uh, 
uh, it's a whole it's a whole bunch of more flexibility we have uh, just because we've been doing this long enough to know we don't know when the next hot market uh, will happen and where it will be. Next call, Thank please, you. operator. Your next question comes from the line of Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please proceed with your question. Uh, morning, everyone. I uh, just want to follow up on uh, on a prior question regarding the M&A activity. Uh, you know, with CKPC being deferred until uh, the future at some point, you know, there there is the potential to add some capacity with the uh, process that's ongoing in the market. You know, can you can you maybe talk about uh, your your views about being a JV partner in a in another project, or is it uh, this? You know, your existing project just on the shelf until uh, markets uh, improve. Um, we obviously are going to talk about uh, a, an ongoing process. You know, right now um, we're we're hunkering down. Like I said, we're we're focused on focused on uh, increasing our EBITDA uh, dramatically without spending a lot of capital, investing a lot of capital. So filling up our existing assets, doing those really inexpensive to bottlenecks exporting uh, products uh, to to Asia and, and we've got a lot of running room within the most core part of our business and so if you think about it as concentric circles you know getting more out of the assets we have is first the bottlenecking assets like like Jason talked about potion or or you know we've got hundred you know many hundred million a day of capacity up in the various and midstream footprint we need to take advantage of and 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 Petrochemicals is a concentric circle that's out from there, and uh, it, it, it remains in strategy, but it's not it's not our highest priority right now. All right, no, that's very helpful. Um, and then, just uh, in terms of the you know those other projects that you're highlighting that you do have you know brownfield uh, opportunities, you know have your discussions with them accelerated over the last couple of weeks slash months. Uh, uh, just given the commodity price environment, or when you are looking at projects to restart, are you really going to focus on those ones that you highlighted in the MDNA first? I, I would just say that you know when when we we made the statement in my my remarks that our uh, confidence in converting um, probable to uh, confirmed uh, has improved. That's how I would characterize it. Is is our producer customers, they're getting their mojo back. I mean, they, they were just had the hell beaten out of them last year, uh, as did we. Uh, and, you know, they, they've, they've done their balance sheet repair. I think they're years ahead of their, their southern partners for the most part, in terms of living within cash flow, having, you know, uh, good balance sheets. And they're going to return, I think they're going to cautiously return to uh, to drilling within their means, you know, they're not going to rely on capital markets to drill anymore. They're not going to borrow money. They're not going to issue equity. They're going to grow within their footprint. We've got the consolidation happening, and that, in my opinion, is going to turn into to volumes, and that's really what's going to power power Pemina is is we we literally have hundreds of millions of dollars of EBITDA opportunity annually within our existing footprint. And that's going to get pretty exciting. Excellent. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Patrick Kenny with National Bank. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, 
there's been some capital cost pressures across the pipeline industry of late. Um, and I know phase seven is still trending on budget, but perhaps you can just comment on how your project is coming out as the outlier in a good way. And I guess looking ahead, you know, if you do turn phase eight and nine on later this year, just if you're still comfortable with the initial budgets for those expansions. Yeah, I, I guess uh, recall that we had bought the steel for phase seven pre-pandemic. And so, you know, I think we had, what, 300 million was it invested? And that represented the steel. So, you know, that's, that's done and it, that worked out well. Uh, with, with TMX, or not TMX, with KXL being cancelled, we've, we've had a flood of interest in participating in our Phase 7 project. And so we're pretty optimistic that uh, we can meet or even possibly exceed the, the number we have out there. And uh, with phase eight and nine, you know, uh, there could, you know, there could be cost pressures. But again, you know, when you can deal with a contractor and say, hey, let's do seven, let's do seven, you bid hard on seven, and then, you know, uh, you'll be at the top of the list for eight and nine, you can, you can really um, uh, get a great win-win with the contractor. Um, you know, maybe their, their unit rates are lower, but they've got a long fairway of, of working. So, uh, we're looking at not just cost with eight and nine, but also scope. And, and to date, uh, feeling not bad about it. Jason, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, Patrick, I would add, um, you know, because of the time that we've been allowed, you know, the up, you know, the, the market uh, downturn obviously was not not ideal, but but it did give us time to evaluate our assets, and so. You know, having that extra year, we're able to really pinpoint where the capacity constraints are. Um, and when we talk about, you know, what we historically referred to as phase 10, we're now able to actually test out our assets that we've put into service over the last number of years and figure out what they're truly capable of. So up until um, last year, we were just trying to stay ahead of the production growth and we weren't really able to 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 plan as well as we would like to. We were just maximizing the amount of capacity we could add. So we're now able to actually look at specifically um, what areas need um, de-bottlenecking, what's the optimal you know, pipe size, pump size, how many pumps do we need, all of those things. And we can actually stage it out in, in, in more stages now as we're looking. So we see a much more um, you know, smaller staged series of expansions that we can do that that are easier to execute and and easier to plan and then just just to round that out i think it goes without saying but i'll say it anyway our our ability to compete as as scope and and costs are managed it, it's it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger uh, i think unlike other news out there you're going to hear our costs are going to go down not up Jared? Hey Pat, it's Jared here. I just wanted to also add that, you know, you're fairly familiar with uh, with our map. You know, phase seven is essentially the glass, you know, kind of going what, what we refer to over the top down into the Fox Creek area. And just the geographical footprint there, it's, you know, it's, it's good terrain, right? You're not into like the foothills. Now, if you think of going from Fox Creek, going straight west, you know, in through picking up, say, seven gens acreage and building out to where our Musro complex is, Rest Haven Complex and moving up into north into GP, Grand Prairie, um, you know, that's the really tough terrain, right? That's, that, those chunks of our assets, they're in the ground, they're built. Phase 7, 
you know, it's farmland for the most part. Phase nine, you're up in that Dawson Creek, beautiful plains, you know, into Northeast BC. Once again, very good. You do, you do have some river crossings, but essentially, you know, the tough sledding um, and building, it's, it's in the ground. We don't have to go there anymore. So just keep that in mind as well. Okay, that's great color, thanks. Um, and then Mick, maybe just to go back to your comments around ESG, and I know you're working towards establishing your, your carbon reduction targets by the end of the year, but you know, just given we've seen a rapid increase in the number of large, reputable companies pledging net zero by 2050, even without a, a crystal clear path to get there, but call it more of, a, of an ESG compass, if you will. So just wondering what, what's holding Pemina back from including net zero as part of your, your broader capital allocation guardrails? Um, what, what's holding us back is we don't announce things like that until we, we know how, how we're going to do it. So uh, when we announce it, we'll, uh, we'll know how to do it. Uh, you're going to see us taking concrete steps. And over the next number of years, I, I'm going to make a, maybe a bit of a bold prediction that when you extrapolate the sum total, three years from now uh, into the future, you'll conclude for yourself where we're going to get to. But uh, we're going to put some targets out there. We'll meet those targets. And, um, and we're going to put some evidence out there this year that we're serious about that. And uh, I, I don't know when we'll be able to predict, uh, you know, uh, uh, carbon neutral. But when, when, when we do, we will know how to do it. That's great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Robert Cotillier with CIBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good morning, folks, and uh, congratulations for managing through 2020. I know that wasn't easy. Uh, my question this morning is on, on ethane. I just wanted an update on where, where you stand with that. Specifically, if you think the current incentives and government support that's out there is enough to uh, uh, sponsor a crack or uh, otherwise, what do you think needs to have happen to, for the industry to be in a position to uh, see a new cracker become a reality? And in your answer, maybe you can address the uh, the impact of uh, uh, $170 per ton carbon tax might mean to the, uh, the outlook there. Yeah, I, let, let's just start with the second question. I think anybody who comes in the province is going to have their carbon situation figured out you know, as part of their base project. Uh, you know, these are these are multi-billion dollar projects and add another, you know, two or three hundred million to, to sequester your carbon or, or do what you need to do. That's a kind of a rounding error. So I, I don't think that's a huge impediment uh, for that. In terms of how we participate in that, I mean, we move most of the ethane in the province. So we're, I can't imagine we're not going to be uh, in the middle of that discussion, and we'll work very hard to facilitate it. Uh, ethane is a huge part of our value chain. Uh, some of our largest customers are our ethane customers, and you know it goes right back to the gas plant, uh, through pipes, through fracks, through storage, and it, and it's a it's a 50-year demand. Uh, so. Um, we, we couldn't be more serious about about that, and we'll do everything we can to uh, to facilitate it. And I think I think the government understands it too. You know that that's a, that's the kind of value added that that Pembina 
and and the, the the province needs those are those are jobs that are going to last decades and decades and property tax base and so on and so forth and they in turn can spawn value in added uh, industries uh, so uh, I think it's it's a logical place where we have sustained cost advantage as a province and um, you know we 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 um, we we think it's going to happen province wants it to happen um, Stu do you have any thoughts to add there yeah no the only thing I'll add Robert is uh, you know we're we've been looking at this we we think there are opportunities there's definitely opportunities uh, to increase increase the ethane supply competitively in, in Alberta to, to support the backstopping of a cracker. It's going to take producer effort, midstream effort, and, and government effort. Um, but, you know, I think there, we, we're seeing uh, alignment of those things. And so we're, we're excited about the role that we play today, and we think we can play a larger role in the future with, you know, the, the opportunities that are in front of us. Jared, do you have any comments? No, you guys said it well. Okay, my uh, thanks for that. And my my last question has to do with the volumes at Younger. Um, there's there's a lot of competing influences there. Uh, obviously, a turnaround by also uh, the drilling, but there's also some new services uh, on the NGTL system in town. So, uh, can you help us uh, um, and sort of attribute, you know, which of those factors has had the, the, the biggest impact on volumes? In other words. How much could be considered short term, and how much is uh, more of a long term impact on volume? Rob Jarrett here. Um, yeah, great question. You know, in Q4 we did have a, a planned outage. Um, you know, that so that impacted the younger volumes, and you know, you nailed it on the head. The, the supply coming in, you know, to into that area was was altered with the startup of of some competing gas assets. I would say that, um, you know, not divulging the exact numbers, but I would say that our, our marketing business team in conjunction with the, the gas processing team has done an unbelievable job um, getting back out, boots on the ground, and, uh, you know, increasing the supply into, into that asset. Um, so we did have a little bit of a hiccup there, and then, you know, with the planned outage, um, you know, Q4 looked a little bit uh, lower than normal, but um, the, the demand is... is is picking up. Okay, that's great. Thank you, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Andrew Kosky with Credit Swiss. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Uh, good morning. And in terms of risk management, um, you know, I, I guess you've, you've always been very good on knowing what you don't know. And the partnership you had with Equates was really uh, representative of that. But maybe more broadly, how do you think about partnership or JV potential just in the context of growing your business? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um, we, we don't like to partner. Let me just say that. Uh, most people know it. We like to control our own destiny. And, and the reason we like to do that is because most of the projects we do that extend the value chain, whether they're in, in our current uh, suite of services or extend our current suite of services, uh, they enhance the value of all of our assets. And, you know, um, w when you don't control the next step of your value chain, uh, then you lose control of taking the, the step beyond that. And so when we look at partners, we, we want to ensure that uh, 
uh, we're, we're taking them to de-risk what we're doing, but also so that we don't impair our ability to keep growing along the value chain. Um, and so, for example, if we had no rail facilities, if someone controlled our rail facilities, we probably wouldn't have been able to do Prince Rupert because we, we would have an unknown in terms of cost and reliability between our Redwater Frack and our Prince Rupert terminal. And so because we owned the pipes, then we were able to get into fractionation because we got into fractionation, we were able to control storage and rail, and then we could push those molecules to Rupert and, and, and really because we, we wanted to. And so we, we can't imagine having a JV that prohibits us from taking the next step in the value chain. So we, we'd like to have partners that, that uh, we need to, you know, fill a gap, a knowledge gap, a capability gap, even a financial gap, uh, but they can't impair our ability to control our, our, our walk down the value chain path. Okay, that's very helpful. And then maybe just uh, more narrowly on risk management, if you think about the efforts you've had specifically at Redwater with the cogen, um, clearly we've seen a pretty volatile power market as the PPA has rolled off and we're in a more free market environment. Uh, could you talk maybe a little bit about power cost management and how that's really benefited you and the outlook in the future? Yeah, I mean, just on cogens, like we, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we announced one one a year for a, a number of years. I mean, they're 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 taking us off a, a coal gas mixture to a, an all gas mixture. We don't have, you know, line losses uh, through transmission, and so that's obviously uh, uh, energy going into the environment we don't need, and and very cost competitive. Uh, so we. You know, we anticipate uh, continuing to do that. We, we hedge power. Uh, your question is risk management. We hedge a lot of our power, for example, at Empress because, you know, we, we hedge our gas, we hedge our power because those are the input costs of making propane and butane. And so we're doing that now. Um, I would say, though, we're, our focus is our self-supply power requirements. It's not merchant. Now, we might end up with a few kilowatts of merchant just based on cogen sizing. I'm not going to rule that out, but our focus is self-supply, and that's a big market. We're one of the biggest power consumers in Alberta, and so that's a big, a big market. Uh, we have economies of scale, you know, consistent with my comments on cost efficiency. We're consolidating all our power needs across our business to a single desk, and uh, you know we'll have our cogens in there, uh, and you know we're we're looking at renewable sources of of power as well, uh, not necessarily to invest in, but to consume. And, and so that's a that's a big opportunity for us from a, a cost uh, cost perspective and efficiency perspective. And uh, again, uh, we do hedge a lot of that, and, and a lot of what we do is hedging our self supply. Jared. Right. Andrew, I'll, I'll also add this on the on the mitigation side. Not only the the commodity itself or the or the energy that you're consuming, but as you build these cogens, you obviously have to back that up with um, you know reducing your reliance on the wires charges for the distribution, right? So as we as we build out this strategy, taking ourselves off because there is obviously potential that the energy itself increases in price. There's also the risk that the the transportation distribution of that energy goes up and we'll continue to wind those portions of, of that exposure down as we build those 
centralized um, power generation units. That's great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Robert Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Perfect. Good morning. Um, if I can just start with some questions on the big gas pipes and starting with, with Ruby. Um, you took the full write-off of the convertible preferred and recognizing there may be some interplay with that and, and probabilities around impairment math. But what is that saying if you're taking the full write-off against um, your expectation for future cash flow? Yeah, I think, Rob, you know, obviously the impairment is, is a bit of an accounting exercise. You know, there, there's lots to do on that pipeline. There, there are opportunities in the future. Um, I think the, the, the main driver of the impairment is the short-term outlook on that asset base is very challenged uh, with, you know, both the, the Station 2 pricing as well as the Opal to Malin spread. There's just not enough, uh, you know, sense in the spread to make that pipeline toll. So, you know, we do believe there's potential to recontract that, that pipeline, albeit at much lower tolls. And longer term, we're looking at some opportunities around that pipeline. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, there, there's a bunch of things that have to happen, uh, including the, the note refinancing next year. So there are some things that, you know, are possible. Can you put that in an impairment model? No. Um, so based on what we know today, uh, that asset is, is very challenged. But, you know, we're working hard on that. And, and, it, and as I said previously, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a complicated uh, structure with, you know, uh, ourselves at our preferred uh, distribution. We have Kinder Morgan uh, below us at the common, and then we have the bondholders. And, and as I said previously, everybody's going to have to come to the table uh, and, and work together to make this a sustainable uh, pipeline. So in terms of, of the short-term outlook, I mean, we had already forecasted a lower contribution uh, from Ruby in 2021, and that was implied uh, in our 2021 guidance. Okay, but the fact that you wrote it to zero, it's still, um, your expectation is there still is some positive cash flow here in the future, and depending on how the parties come together, it could still be a fairly material number into the medium term. Is that fair? Yeah, there's still, I mean, there's still contracts, obviously, on that pipeline. Uh, you know, one of the contracts goes out to 2026. Um, there's also some interruptible volumes, as well as the producer contracts are good for another six months. So there is... There is cash flow on that asset. Where it ends up um, will be determined over the next several months here as we work with all the parties involved. Yeah, Robert, um, we, 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 think, we think this thing's going to generate cash flow in the future. Um, we can't point to it now. Uh, the foundational contracts uh, were, were, were rich and they were struck in a, a different time. Um, we think there's going to be replacement there. Uh, we just you know, for an impairment test, uh, you, you can't put what, what you think is going to happen in there. You, you have to put in what you know is going to happen uh, with certainty. So, um, you know, I, I guess uh, uh, to some extent, you know, the accountants made us do it. It's, it's not necessarily re reflecting what we, what we think the long-term cash flow generation prospects of that line will be. We do think it will have uh, uh, an ongoing source of cash flow. Do you think we'll get clarity on how this all plays out in 2021? Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll turn that to I'll turn, let, let's let Cam answer that. 
Yeah, I I think that you know it, it's it's early on in, in the process, Robert. Uh, so as, as Scott says, all parties need to come together. I think uh, you know we're we're certainly hopeful that that's the case, and and we can have a constructive outcome. Uh, just turning to Alliance, uh, just some thoughts as to how you see that playing out over the next um, kind of coming years, and do you see any potential to get the regulator? more involved either from rate setting or or even just some of the mechanics around tolls, for example. I think the regulatory treatment right now is you're a price taker on the bid floor, but there is precedent from the CER for you to be a price setter to um, essentially incent contracting. Is that something you're looking at? Um, we, we haven't had that conversation yet. Um, you know, we're we're it, obviously, that's a really volatile spread, to say, to say the least. And I think uh, the, the value of that pipe, just at the macro level, Robert, was was demonstrated. And you know, it was it was a, a, a pretty important source of energy for for the U.S. here recently. Uh, it was one of the the pipes that kept producing. In fact, I think we we saw two three hundred million a day more hit that pipe here through the cold snap and. And so you're going to have, I think, producers looking at that, and you're also going to have consumers looking at that. Like when the chips are down, where where was the energy? Uh, and so you know, we think that 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 pipe will have, uh, uh, you know, uh, a better differential than it currently does now, and that it will. And we've seen this before in my career. I've seen you know the the spreads tighten up and then you know go to two two dollars above two dollars and. And so, um, you know, we're we're pretty sure it'll it'll get recontracted. You know, maybe maybe uh, you know, Pembina and Enbridge have to market the the space uh, uh, a little bit uh, in in the near term. Uh, in terms of the the rate setting, that is that is not um, it's a it's a very good idea, and I'm gonna well, it's a takeaway for us to to see what the opportunities are. Maybe I can catch up with you uh, offline uh, on what what your brainstorm is there. That sounds great. Uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you. And there are no further, further questions in queue at this time. I turn the call back to Mr. Dilgo for closing remarks. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. Um, I'm sure you're looking forward to uh, 2021 as much as we are. Things are starting to, to break, it looks like, on the, the COVID front. Uh, still some some challenges ahead, uh, probably having talked to our U.S. directors Yesterday, uh, they're they're ahead and things will clear uh, faster than Canada. You know, we we see great energy prices. We're encouraged. Uh, we're not ready to to say they're going to continue indefinitely, but it's a it's a very good start. We're seeing volumes uh, uh, come up, and so as we close the book on on 2020, I want to say a thank you to all our uh, people on the phone, our, our shareholders uh, who stuck with us through. 2020 and our, our staff who who uh, were amazingly resilient and allowed us to to uh, to, to meet our uh, safety financial and community uh, objectives and and uh, our customers for for working hard with us to keep paying the bills so uh, thank you very much and uh, have a great weekend and this concludes today's conference call thank you for your participation you may now disconnect Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.